Very glad to be with you this evening. Look forward for some time to studying with you about Romans chapter 2. I hope that you get something from it as I have studying it. I want to thank Brother Neil for his talk last Sunday on Romans chapter 1. I'm thankful for his context that he gave us, the time in which this was written, that the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Rome prior to his going to be with those Christians there. Now for me, I like statistics, I like numbers, and just looking at the book of Romans, I think we can see what is talked about in this book if you look at the words that are used throughout this book. Christ is used 68 times in the book of Romans. That's more than any other book in the Bible. There are several other words that are used in Romans more than any other place in the Bible. The word law, gospel, circumcision, justified, justification is used only in the book of Romans, grace, more often in this book than any other book in the Bible, obedience, and Jesus Christ. Those are topics that are, you, that are talked about throughout the book of Romans. Some other things that are talked about in the book of Romans more often than any other place in the New Testament are death, flesh, and sin. And God is mentioned 144 times in the book of Romans, second only to the book of Acts in the New Testament. That kind of gives, kind of gives us some of the thoughts that the Apostle Paul is bringing to mind as he's writing this letter to the church at Rome. If we look at, before we look at the second chapter, if we go back into chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17, he kind of tells us what he's getting at in the point of his writing. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In chapter 2, he's going to talk about two different, or three different types of people, three different groups of people that were under different laws. Those Gentiles that were not under the law of Moses, before Christ died on the cross, they did not have a law given to them by God as the Jews did on, the, on Mount Sinai. He talks about the Gentiles. He also talks about the Jews that were revealed, that were God's chosen people. And then he also talks about those that are under the, the law of the gospel or Christians today. At the end of chapter 1, as Neil went over, talked about the depravity of man and how Gentiles and Jews, if they left God out of their mind, that they would go into this debased um, lifestyle going to where they would not even, they would do wickedness and they would just continue in this circle of depravity. Verse 28, I like to begin reading there. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, 
who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those that practice them. So they're doing this wickedness knowing that there's coming a judgment and that they deserve punishment for their sin. The first word of chapter 2 says, Therefore, or looking back at what I've just taught you, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you not think, O man, you who judge those practicing such things are doing, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? So here he goes from looking at those debased individual, probably more often than not Gentiles. Some Jews may have fallen into that category. But he says, he's talked about that, and now he's, saying, he's talking to a different group of people that they aren't outwardly this wickedness in their lives. They, it's not evident to everyone they come in contact with, but privately they do these things. They have an air about them where they put on a good face, but inwardly, while they look down on those that are doing these things, inwardly they do the same things. And somehow, because they are God's chosen people, they think, I'm going to get away with it, while those other ones are going to receive the condemnation of God. God said, it's not like that. I'm a righteous judge, and I will judge people according to their works, according to what, how they live their lives. Paul says that you Jews will not be better off if you hide your sins on, the, on face value and you do them behind the scenes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Just because we can hide it from our fellow man doesn't mean that God is somehow going to overlook that because we don't do it openly for others, in front of others. God sees through all lies, deceit, hypocrisy, and deception. He sees to the very heart of the matter. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that His Word cuts to the dividing of even soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It sees everything. It can tell what is right and what is wrong. I remind you that those that received the sharpest rebuke by Christ as He walked upon the earth were those Pharisees and those teachers of the law that outwardly they had a good show, but inwardly they did those things that were forbidden on the law of Moses. Going on in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Here, this word despise in verse 4 means to hold in contempt. They were holding God's grace and His long-suffering nature in contempt. Paul's saying, just because God doesn't punish your sins immediately, that doesn't mean that He is not going to punish them at some time in the future. He may be allowing other people and you time to repent and turn away from your wickedness. God's goodness, His forbearance, His long-suffering nature is intended to allow us time to repent. We cannot interpret His lack of punishment immediately for our sin 
as we can interpret that as indifference on his part or as a blessing to our actions. Many times we think, well, if, if we're blessed in some way because of what we've done or in spite of what we've done, then maybe God looks favorably upon it. That's not the case. Sometimes God is just forbearing, long-suffering, hoping that we will change. It reminds me of what the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Remember the days of Noah. There were people marrying and giving in marriage and having a fun time until the day that God shut the door to the ark and the rains descended and the floods were broken loose and all mankind outside of that ark of safety was destroyed. Going on in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Over and over through this chapter, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about for the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, we're all under the same, we all serve the same God. And He may be long-suffering, and we may have in times past lived under different laws. Those that were not the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of promise, they did not have to follow the law of Moses, but they did have a law that God expected them to follow, and they could be deemed righteous if they submitted to that law. But the Jews, just because they were circumcised, just because they were God's chosen people, if they were only Jews outwardly, and that was the extent of their religion and submission to God, then they were no better off than the, the Gentiles that were not God's chosen people. All mankind has a choice. We can realize the error of our ways and repent and turn to God, or we can continue in sin. And we have a choice while we have breath in our body. And those that will not repent are heaping for themselves treasure in hell. They're heaping for themselves wicked punishment for their wickedness on the day of judgment. But those who deny themselves and follow after God, they heap to themselves treasure in heaven. We cannot be lulled to sleep, so to speak, and allow the lack of God's punishment immediately to cause us to continue to follow sin. God is going to judge us based on our actions, whether we submit to Him and His authority or not. Whatever authority or whatever law we live under, no matter what nationality, no matter what race, no matter what family heritage we're born into, 
Verse 12, For as many of you as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these also, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God is no respecter of persons, as we've already seen. He is fair and He is just to everyone. Those who have sinned without the law is referring to the Gentile, Gentiles prior to Christ's death. As I said before, they did not receive the law of Moses. They were not expected to follow that law in its entirety. And, they, and, like, and because of that, they will not be judged by the law of Moses. The law of Moses would judge those that lived during that time period as the children of God from Mount Sinai to the cross. You know, today we live in the state of Texas in the United States of America. We're not required or held accountable to the laws of another country. Neither are we held accountable to the laws that have been done away with prior in our history or laws that may be enacted later on in our history. We're accountable to the laws that are in effect at this point in time. That's the same case for mankind throughout history. There was a time before the law of Moses when God spoke to the patriarchs and gave a law to Adam and Eve in the, in the beginning, gave a law to Noah, gave a law to Abraham. Later on, He gave a law to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. And those that were part of the children of Israel were expected to follow that law. But those Gentiles, those many people outside of Israel, were not expected to follow that law given to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. The Gentiles did not have God's revealed word as the Jews did, so they, were not, they did not have the same expectation. They did not have the same law that they were under. But they did have a law after some fashion, that they were responsible for. You know, today, we don't know what all that law was. In chapter 1, we saw that nature reveals God to some extent to everybody on the face of the earth. That it makes, that God reveals Himself enough to, for us to understand that there is a Creator. That there is someone that is in charge and that expects something from us. We also know that in the time of Noah, all mankind worshipped the one true God for a time before they departed to their own ways. We also know that the Gentiles received some information from prophets of God like Balaam, Jonah, Daniel, and others. So they had God's revelation to them to some extent. And by nature, they did some of the things that were commanded under the law like loving their families, showing kindness to one another, and things like this. And when they showed works that harmonized with God's law, and when they, their conscience approved those things, 
they felt justified. That's not to say that our conscience is what justifies us before God. We also know that God did not directly speak to them in their hearts, like many people say God does today. They came to a knowledge of God through the experiences they, they had and what they heard taught by the prophets. Also notice in verses 13 through 15 in your Bible that these verses are in parentheses. These are qualifying the statements in 12 and 16. So verse 16 finishes the thought that's begun in verse 12. If we read 12 and 16 together, it says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And I believe you can submit condemned for judge there and not do it any injustice. So, for as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be condemned by the law. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So that what Paul is getting to here that Nobody is justified in the sight of God by keeping the law of Moses perfectly. No Gentile is justified before God by keeping the law revealed to the Gentiles perfectly. And also he references those that will be judged based on according, according to the gospel. So there were two different groups of people before Christ died on the cross. But now after Christ and Him giving the law of Christ at Calvary... Now we're all one group together. We're all under the law of Christ. And the only way we can be saved, going back to chapter 1, verse 16, is through the power of the gospel. We cannot be saved by... Nobody was saved by righteousness under the law of Moses, and nobody, no Gentile was saved by righteousness on their own part. They had to submit to God and repent of their sins. I remind you of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. So at very various times throughout history, God has revealed His law, what He expects mankind to follow in different ways. And now in this last time, He's revealed to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, what He expects of all mankind. No Jew or Gentile, Greek, barbarian, nobody is different. Also in John chapter 12, verse 48, He who rejects me, this Christ speaking, and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Sometimes we get into, I don't know if you want to call it arguments, debates, or hypotheticals and talking about, well, what about those that were, didn't have the truth revealed to, him, to them like the Gentiles in times past? The fact of the matter is, that's not you and that's not me. We're expected to follow the law of Christ. We're expected to follow what we have been revealed. And God has revealed Himself to us through the Bible. So we need to do what He has commanded us to do. Going on, verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in, the, in God. 
and know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. When he says, as it is written here, I believe he's referring to Ezekiel chapter 26, excuse me, Ezekiel 36, and also Isaiah chapter 52, where God says, my name is blasphemed because of the wicked things that you're doing in my name. The Jews' conduct caused the Gentiles to say, well, I guess the Jews' God is a wicked God. Because the things that they do are wicked, so they must serve a wicked God. If they had lived up to the law, then the people would have deemed God as righteous. But because they didn't, people looked down upon God and His name was blasphemed. You know, we have that same command today that we exemplify the love that God has shown to us through Christ. The world should not look down upon us because we do not adhere to the principles in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So these Jews were picking and choosing certain things in the law and they're saying, I'm going to do these, but the others I'm not going to do. And thought they could somehow be justified in the law of Moses by not doing all of them. Or if they outwardly showed, put on a good face, but inwardly, inwardly they did those things, they thought somehow they could get by, just as was referenced in the beginning of the chapter. It doesn't matter what we teach. It doesn't matter the air we put on. But what matters is what we do. And, if our heart, and in our heart we follow God and we follow Him with our entirety. Verses 25 through 29 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable, if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically circumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you or condemn you, who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. The Jew put his stake in the fact that he was a descendant of Abraham, and Abraham was given circumcision that He was the chosen people of God, and His descendants were going to be the chosen people of God. So they had in their minds, as long as I am circumcised and I am a child of Abraham, it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter who I serve, it doesn't matter the actions that I take in my life, I'm okay. It's that once saved, always saved mentality. God wants our heart. 
Christ didn't come and die on the cross so that we could be Christians in name only and then go and do whatever we want to the rest of the time. And behind closed door we, doors, we do things that are not acceptable to God. He wants our entire life. Under the law of Moses, people could be circumcised, and they thought, I'm good if I'm circumcised, and then I can take liberty with all these other things and not serve God fully. But there were Gentiles that saw the goodness of God and understood that right from wrong and pursued God with their heart. I think of Cyrus the Persian. I think of Nebuchadnezzar after he has been revealed, God has revealed himself to him. I think of the Ninevites that repented of their wickedness when Jonah came to, the, to them. Their actions condemned the actions of the wicked Jews, the wicked Jew, people of God, because they were willing to submit to God, even though they, they were not the chosen people. We cannot think that somehow if we're brought up in the church or we have obeyed the gospel at one point in our life, then, then we're set. And we no longer have to pursue God. We no longer have to live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Being a Christian is a daily occurrence. Something we do each and every day of our lives. Because if we stop at any point, we're just like these Jews that said, Hey, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm good for the rest of eternity. And I don't have to worry about the law of God. And over and over, God says, That's not what I want. I want your heart. I want all of you. I want you to submit to, you, to me because you understand it's what's best for you and you have a crown of life waiting for you if you will do that. I believe in chapter 1, Paul specifically, more than anything, he's addressing the Gentiles and the wickedness that was that was in those Gentile nations around the people of, of Israel. Here in chapter 2, he points out the wickedness of the Jews and those that claimed to be followers of God, but they were not following holy with their whole heart. And he's pointing out the fact that none of you are going to be deemed righteous if that's all you've got. You need something more. And that's where it goes back to the blood of Christ is what you need. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that is going to make you right before your God. Later on in Romans, we'll read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe that's his point in these first two chapters. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whoever you are, in whatever walk of life, nobody has follow, followed the law of God that has been delivered to them perfectly. And because of that, there has to be a Savior. There has to be someone step in on your account so that your sins can be washed away. Because once you've sinned, the payment for that sin is death. And none of us have lived in a way that we can pay for our own sins without an eternity in hell. But God be thanked that when we were without Christ, when we were against Christ, Christ was sent on our behalf. God loved us that much. I hope that you have benefited from the study this evening. It's been beneficial to me to see how God views all mankind and how He's consistent and how that we can have hope and we can have an assurity of knowing we serve a fair and just God. 
and that He is going to take into account everything that we do. And we need to live our lives accordingly, realizing that God sees to our heart. And He can, no matter what kind of front we put on, no matter, not, no matter what kind of facade we have, God knows if we're truly serving Him with our whole heart. He knows if we're holding back some part of us so that we can indulge in sin. Let's not be as those Jews or those Gentiles that did not serve God fully. If there's one here that has been taught the plan of salvation, that would like to put on Christ in baptism, that wants your sins washed away, or if there's one that desires the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.